You've got to be able to rise above the attack because if you don't, you're a victim. And if you're a victim, you're going to get derailed. Well, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I appreciate you giving me your time. Uh, this week, I want to talk to you about handling attacks from the enemy. Handling attacks from the enemy. Now, of course, I want to put this into the setting of the marketplace. Uh, the way the enemy is going to attack, you know, uh, a preacher is going to be different from an evangelist, which is going to be different from a stay-at-home parent, which is going to be different to somebody called to the marketplace. So I want to put this in the context of you and I and how it plays out. Ultimately, I just want to give you some tools, actually, uh, on how you can handle attacks better um, so that they don't derail you, so that you can ultimately fulfill the call of God on your life. That's the ultimate goal here. All right, but why should we care about this topic of the enemy? You know, I do hear people from time to time say, don't even talk about the enemy. You're, you're giving him glory that he doesn't deserve or things like that. But I'm like, no, 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 no. The, the, the Bible is pretty clear, actually, about the wiles of the enemy. And so, obviously, uh, you know, it's, it's not the most important thing in our life, but we have to be aware of it, right? You, you've probably worked out, if you've been a Christian more than three and a half minutes, that this is a heavy battle. Um, and one of the ways that you win a battle is you know your enemy. And if you know your enemy, then obviously you can put boundaries in place. You can have strategies in place to make sure that you win. So that's ultimately what we've got here. You know, and, and my reference point, I guess, and, and I'm going to look at some scripture. We're going we're gonna to look at a whole bunch of places. I may get a little bit preachy on you in this episode. Forgive me uh, if I do that. But here's what, uh, here's what we read in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Uh, another one says, stay alert, exclamation mark. It's important. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Um, a different one says, stay alert, watch out for the great enemy, right? Um, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I, and I think if they're going to go to that extreme of writing it, then we should go to that extreme of seeing how valuable it is. And the fact that it goes stay alert and be alert and be sober minded says to me that is an area of our Christian walk that we're going to have to learn and grow in if we're going to achieve everything God has for us. So that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about how to handle attacks from the enemy, uh, how to limit them, how to you know get around them, how to make sure they don't derail us because they're never going away, right? The defeated foe is on this earth. He's the father of lies and he's going around looking for somebody to devour, constantly roaming. What you don't want to put yourself in is a position where the enemy goes, aha, I'm going to go after you. All right, so that's, that's basically what we've got here. You know, the Bible tells us that the enemy's goal is to steal, kill and destroy. Steal, kill and destroy. Right? That's what, that's what the, and it goes on to say, but Jesus came to give you life. But the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy what? Like, I literally think that the devil has probably killed more dreams of entrepreneurs than anybody else. Like, stolen more business plans than anybody else. Devoured more opportunities for entrepreneurs than we would ever realize. Obviously, you know, I get to speak to a lot of kingdom entrepreneurs. And, and having walked this journey since 2012-ish, you know, in a, in a kingdom business sense, so, you know, nudging 10 full years, 
I've seen so many people that come to me with such vigor and passion and they come to me, the Lord's given me a dream, the Lord's given me a desire, I'm gonna build this business and I'm gonna fund this thing over here and like I'm gonna put all my skills to work and then, I, and then I'll bump into them six months or I see them at a conference 12 months later and they're defeated, right? They've had the dream stolen, it was too hard, the enemy just raped and pillaged their entire life and then they've given up. Now some people of course, they, they come back with a new idea and they're just as passionate and they go again and then 12 months later they've had everything stolen. I'm like. I'm like, we've got to build, we've, we've got to understand the enemy and the tactics of the enemy so that we can have boundaries and a lifestyle around us that means that when the attack comes, we can bat them away, we can hold the devil at arm's length and we can still do the thing that we've got to do. We cannot let the devil steal, kill and destroy one more kingdom entrepreneur, one more business, one more sales opportunity, one more mind. We've got to learn the attacks of the enemy and learn how to handle them. All right. You know, the, the, the enemy knows that he's defeated. It, it was the cross that is a real clear picture that the enemy has already lost. It's just that down here, he still wants to fight for his kingdom. And so we have these two kingdoms at war. We've got the kingdom of God, which is already won, but we've got to walk in the victory on a daily basis. And we've got this kingdom with a little K, which is the devil trying to puff himself up and be you know, full of pride and, and become somebody. So, but, but, but even though it is a battle for kingdoms, the battle starts in the mind. And so we have to learn to rule over our own mind, rule over our own spirit, because when we don't, we're like a city with the walls falling down, we're vulnerable, we're unsafe, we can't protect ourselves, and so forth. And so that's what we're speaking into on this episode. Hey, podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the show. It means the world to me that you would give up your time to be on here and to, to listen to what I say and the people that I interview. Uh, what I need from you though is a favor. Would you please just take literally a couple of seconds and subscribe to the channel and share the show either on social or with a friend? All right, so Jesus was tested. Jesus was tempted, tested, attacked, if you want another word. So let's look at how he handled it, all right? All right, so uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna cut to the the temptation of Jesus, so you know what's happened here. Um, you know, John the Baptist has baptized him. He's about to start his ministry. He's done 40 days of fasting, um, and then he gets taken up into the wilderness. And, and here's what happens. There's a few keys in this that I think are really important. All right, so we're looking at Matthew 4. It starts this. It says Jesus was led up to the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, okay? So, so he's going along with this. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, no doubt, no doubt. Why is that in there? Well, what happens when you're hungry? You are weak, physically weak, maybe mentally weak, and so forth. That's a really important part here, is that the enemy wants to get you to the point where you're emotionally weak, physically weak, spiritually weak, and then, and then he's going to come after you. <clears throat> All right. Now the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, if, if you are, if, in other words, huh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go after your identity here. If, if, just trying to cause a little bit of doubt here, right? There's one of the massive keys. There's a little bit of doubt. If you're the son of God, command these stones to become red. Now Jesus is like, ah, I'm the boss. You're not the boss. I'm the boss. All right. So he says, well, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. So in other words, he's batting away. 
you know, the, 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 this attack. The devil took him up. That, that'll, that'll mess with the theology. The, the devil took him up to the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written. This is a, the devil preaching now. He shall give his angels charge over you. And he said in their hands, they shall blah, 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 blah. Jesus says it's written. So in other words, he's coming after his identity again. It's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up to exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kings of the world and their glory and said to them, all these things I'll give to you if you've fallen down. And then Jesus says to him, away with you, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God. So he's trying to, he's trying to get him to, to bow down. He's trying to get him to be full of doubt. He's trying to get him to ultimately lay down his kingdom. Now, this is the bit that I really want you to catch. Then the devil left him and behold, Angels came and ministered to him. Other versions say angels came and tended to him. The way I look at it is this. If Jesus goes through testing, so he's, he's hungry, um, he's, he's been attacked. It's been 40 days plus however many days it took to attack. If the angels have to come and tend to Jesus because he was exhausted, battle-worn, you know, he, he won, um, but at a cost, then of course... It's not going to be all roses for you and I. I think to myself, if Jesus needed to have angels come and minister to him, then you and I, I guess I don't want us to approach this thing by just holding it at arm's length and saying it doesn't matter. I don't want us to just be like uh, complacent around this thing, because if Jesus had to be tended by the angels after being tested and attacked, then we will be as well. That's why I think it's an important area that we need to kind of validate and talk about. And of course, we're not trying to give uh, the devil some glory here. I'm actually saying he's already lost. He's already lost and we've already won. However, however, he can make our life a nightmare from time to time. All right. So how do we limit these attacks? How do we limit them? All right. I'm basically going to run through three things about how we limit these attacks. The first one is watch who you talk to. You've got to watch who you talk to. You've, you've got to have some boundaries here around who you spend your time and energy talking to. Let's, uh, let's look at the first encounter where a conversation went wrong. Let's go all the way back to, uh, to Adam and Eve in the garden where we see, um, we see them talking to a snake. Right, you know the story, this is effectively the fall of man, all right, which is, uh, which is uh, we can learn so much about that first encounter, uh, about how that works. All right, so here, here we are, we're back to Genesis 3, all right, and, and we're talking here about, you know, talking to snakes. All right, so now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Um, some other ones don't say cunning, they say subtle, okay? Now, now just, let's just park there for a second. The, the serpent is not the devil. The serpent was just available for the devil. So catch that. The serpent's not a devil. God in his infinite wisdom allowed the serpent to be a vehicle for the enemy to use in a testing. Okay? And, and how do I know that? Because, because, the, because the devil, the defeated foe, he's not all-knowing and omnipotent and God, he is defeated. And so, and so he doesn't have the same power as God, you know. And so he, he, he can only enter something that God says is okay for him to enter, right? Which will mess with your theology a little bit, but that's just how it is. 
So now, now the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field, um, which the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, all right, has God indeed, so we've just had this moment where God said, you can have all of those trees, but don't eat from that tree because it's going to go bad for you. Has God indeed said? So first of all, the first thing that the devil throws at Eve is doubt, confusion. Did he really say? Did he? Are you sure? Are you a hundred percent sure that that's how it should be? You shall not eat of every tree in the garden. Now, now catch what now catch what the woman says. We may eat the fruit of the tree and the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, "You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die." What can we learn about Eve? She knew. She knew the word of God. She knew the kingdom of God. She knew God. And it was all inside of her. It was all inside of her. She preached. She preached to the serpent. Like, like she, she got an A plus in Bible college. She knew. She knew the word of God. She was full of her identity. She knew exactly. But of course, he's just gone in there and, and caused a little bit of doubt. Then the serpent says to the woman, you'll not surely die. So first of all, a little bit of confusion, then a distraction. You'll not surely die for God knows that in the day uh, that you eat, your eyes will be opened and, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So, so he's basically, you know, like selling her a fake alternative, getting her to trade what she knows for something that seems better to the eye. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasure to the eyes and desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of God amongst the trees. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree on which I commanded you you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman, <laughs> right? So, so, so once you've been deceived, right? It's very easy to start pointing fingers at everybody else who has let you down, right? I'm trying to give you some hallmarks here of, of what it looks like when you're deceived. The woman who you gave me, she gave me the fruit from the tree. So, so immediately we've got blame happening. It's like, not me, God, right? Like, like everybody but me. It can't possibly be me, right? So then, so what says to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman says, the serpent deceived me. So, so you've got, you got Adam going, it's not me, it's Eve. And you've got Eve going, it wasn't me, it was the serpent. So you've got blame, you've got excuses, you've got denial, all happening in one encounter. And then you know the story, right? So then it gets cut down, blah, blah, blah. And then there's enmity and, and there's a promise. And, and literally just after that is probably the most beautiful uh, encounter possibly with the Lord where he gives the first messianic prophecy that one day there'll be a savior of the world. And he, and he doesn't use those words, but, but that's what he starts to show out. And I say all of that because you need to be careful who you're talking to. You need to be careful who you're talking to because that was an encounter that sounded good, looked good, started with a little shed of doubt and became something absolutely massive. I see people in my world, you know, like we might do a client training. We see them one day. We see them three months later. We talk on the phone. We have some calls. I'll, I'll talk to them one day. And this is, not, this is not the majority. This is the minority, but it happens. I'll talk to them one day. And let's say I talk to them a month later on a call. And I can just tell that they've been talking to snakes between calls. You know, whether that's, 
you know, like their uncle who they don't care about, whether that's, you know, whoever it is, they've been talking to snakes. And, and, and ultimately, you know, like somebody has started to poison them. So they, they, they're on one call, full of passion, full of things of God, want to change the world, want to fund their church in a massive way. On the next call, full of doubt. I'm not sure that that's right. I'm going to play smaller. I'm going to pull back. I'm going to, and I'm like, man, you, you've been talking to snakes. You were so fired up and now you're not so much. You were so, you know, passionate for the things of God. And now not so much, right? You, you so wanted to do something big with your life. Now not so much. The only difference is you've been talking to snakes. And so my thing for you would be who you've been talking to, who you've been talking to, and then put some boundaries around that to work out who you're going to talk to in the future. Because the last thing you want to do is start talking to snakes. All right, the second thing. So we talked about watch who you talk to. Then I want to look at this. Watch who you let close to you. Watch who you let close to you. Let's have a little bit of a look at the life of Joshua and a deal he did with the Gibeonites. All right, so we're looking at Joshua 9. And it goes like this. It came to pass when all the kings were on the side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland and the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Budlites, and the Mozzibites heard about it. They gathered around and to fight um, with Joshua and Israel with one accord. So they came together. Now catch this. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. They took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provisions was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country, now therefore make a covenant with us. So, so here's Joshua, the, these guys have turned up, they've got moldy bread, torn clothes, it looks like they've been going for you know, many, many, many days, weeks and months to get to Joshua to do a deal because they have been crafty and they are lying. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. In other words, we, we will come underneath you. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, from a very far country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. We have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt. So that's not true. They actually came because they're super scared. Um, and, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. And King Og of Bashan, who was him at him. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants now, therefore make a covenant with us. This bread of ours, we took hot for our provisions. So they're just dead set lying from the house on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it's dry and moldy and these wine skins, which are filled with you, blah, blah, blah. I'd be thinking, well, hang on a minute. If you took bread that was hot uh, and it's been such a long journey, how come you've still got bread? Anyway, um, then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Just that, that's all I wanted to get to. They did not ask counsel of the Lord. They went on to do a covenant with them. They went on to interbreed, which they were never told to do. And it ended up being a massive problem for Joshua. You've got to be careful who you let in. And in this particular case, what can we learn? See, if Joshua had gone to the Lord and said, should I make covenant with the Gibeonites? The Lord would have said no. That was, I've, I've been very clear, that's not what I want you to do. 
but he didn't inquire of the Lord. He didn't seek the Lord's counsel. And so he let them near and it ended up being an absolute nightmare for him, you know, over the coming decades. And so with you, you know, not only do you have to watch who you talk to, but you have to watch who you let in. Now, I'm not saying that we, you know, become elitist and, 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 and not have friends. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, you know, as, as you want to, you know, as you go about building a kingdom business and wanting to do something great, one of the attacks of the enemy is going to bring people on, alongside you, possibly um, that even look right and sound right and, and sound Christian and look Christian, um, but actually, you know, puffed up with lies and cheating. And, and ultimately, and ultimately they sound right, but their heart is far from you. Okay. And let me tell you, that's going to happen. That's going to happen for, for business owners. That's going to happen with possibly, you know, business partners. I'm not saying all unsaved partners are bad. You should have unsaved business partners, but you should inquire of the Lord first on whether you should be in business with them. You're going to have un unsaved staff. You, sh you should do that. They, they, they need to be around you, but you should inquire of the Lord first. You know, you're going to have, you're going to have people that want to support your vision. And, um, and, 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 and this is one that I think is a, is a really interesting thing because you're going to have people that see what's on your life and they want to come near with you and they're going to want co covenant with you, but they don't actually care what you're trying to chase down. They just want to chase down what they want to chase down, but they want to ride your coattails to be able to get what they're chasing down, but they follow what they want to chase down by chasing down what you're chasing down and it ends up causing a huge amount of division and, and problems and distraction along the way. That's why... It can look good, smell good, taste good, seem good, seem holy, seem godly, but it's really not. And I know for sure, like I've had people in my life, you know, that I have brought in. And, and by the way, this is a, I'm sharing my story uh, as a testimony for you to not repeat what happened to me. Like there have been multiple times in my life with, with certain individuals and couples that I've let close and obviously didn't do enough checking of the Lord, which is why I'm now talking about it because it's a fundamental learning for me, having got it wrong more than once. You let these people in and you realize after a period of time that they're not actually chasing the same thing as you. They're chasing their version, right? Or they're chasing possibly even something completely different to you. And, and the enemy uses them to cause a whole bunch of heartache. You know, I've had people in my life that I've brought in, couples, and actually, not only was it that subtle that they, you know, that they, that they weren't there, that they actually were a plan of the enemy to cause division. And so you learn quickly that you cut and you, you can still love them and you pray for them every single day, but you don't have to let them near you. You know, I've had those people that have seen what we're building and look good, sound good, right? All, it all checks up in the natural but actually, after you walk with them a period of time, you realize that they're just interested in themselves. They just think that this is going to get them faster than their own hard work. And it ends up causing a huge amount of division. So not only do you want to you know, be really careful who you talk to, you need to be really careful with who you let in. And I'm not saying that it should be Christians or non-Christians. I'm saying the only prerequisite, according to Joshua, is seek counsel from the Lord. That's all you have to do. You have to seek counsel from the Lord. Lord, is this person for me? Is this person against me? You know, like that unction on the inside, that spirit of discernment to be able to say, actually, it all looks like it lines up, but it's not the right partnership person for me and where I'm going. And you need to be able to call that. And after you get burnt a few times, you get very good 
at holding actually the boundaries of who you're letting really close. And then of course, you're gonna walk with people, you're gonna test them, you're gonna wanna check their character because character at the end of the day is worth more than skill if you're gonna be walking with people for a period of time. All right, so we need to watch who we talk to, we need to watch who we let close. The third thing we need to do is we need to watch who we're listening to. We need to watch who we're listening to. I wanna take you to the book of Esther I find this one to be a really interesting story, right? So the book of Esther is, so you've got King Xerxes. He actually starts with a different name, but we'll call him King Xerxes, which is the easier name of the two to say. And, um, and so, you know, we've got Esther. We know Esther was born beautiful, brought into the king's service. Um, the king kills, he's got many wives and concubines. He kills the one that he's like prioritizing. I don't know how that works. Um, and then, and then, and then Esther becomes queen. And so, but there's this fellow that turns up and his name is Haman, Haman. And it's really, really interesting because Haman is basically been appointed as the leader to talk to the king, right? So, so basically he's an advisor to the king. So the king, in all his wisdom, has picked Haman to be the voice to listen to, to start making kingly decisions. But Haman has got some real problems in his character. He is envious, he's full of pride, he wants to murder. He, he, he is so full of himself that he hates anybody that is doing things that he doesn't do, okay? And we can read about all of this because we read about Haman and, 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 and Mordecai, uh, who's a good godly man, and, and so that basically those two uh, uh, are at war. Mordecai doesn't know so much, but Mordecai basically refuses to bow down to the king's edict. Right? So the, the king's edict is everybody must bow down to me because I'm the king. And Mordecai's like, no, I've got a different king and I'm not going to bow down to an earthly king. I'm only going to bow down to a heavenly king. And so that was his decision. Or Haman, who's full of pride, who is supposed to be this wise counsel for the king, is full of character flaws. Um, and his advice to the king starts to become really off. And he, and he, basically, he basically goes to uh, the king and... Um, and, it, and this is what it says. So we're going to pick up Esther 3 and we'll, maybe we'll kick in at 7 because I've done a bit of a recap. Um, in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, the 12th year of the king, we'll call him Xerxes, they cast lots for Haman to determine the day and the month um, uh, and so forth. Then Haman said to the king, said, so, so you've got to be list, you've got to, be, you've got to watch who, who you listen to because Haman said to the king, there is a certain people scattered, dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Your kingdom. Their laws are different from all the other people. They do not keep the king's law. So he's basically dropped Mordecai uh, and all of the Jews uh, completely under the bus. This is, this is his advisor. And all he cares about is killing Mordecai. And he can't just kill Mordecai on his own because he's not, got no cause. So he decides I'm going to kill all the Jews and I'm going to create a mass genocide of all the Jewish people. But he comes to him so like, oh, you know, like there's a certain people scattered, they're dispersed, you know, and, and, and they do not keep your, your laws, O king, right? Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. And, and, then, and then catch this language. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they should be destroyed and I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work, blah, 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 blah. Basically, you know, like, like, like that... Such a manipulative spirit. If it pleases the king, you know, like 
puffing the king up at the same time. It's your laws. It's your decree. Come on, they're not, they're not bowing down to you. Let's, let's. So he's using his own agenda. And yet he is an advisor to the king. You've got to be super careful who you're listening to because it ends up being a real problem for Xerxes because he, he ends up taking on what Haman says and he makes the decree based on the advice that he gets from Haman and it causes him a whole bunch of grief. He ends up reversing it later on because of the decay that he um, created by listening to the voice of Haman. Now, 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 the thing we can learn from Haman is it sounded so good. It's, he sounded godly. Her man. He's like, oh, you know, there was a decree and you're the king. It sounded sweet, but it was going to destroy everything the king had built. So you need to be super careful and watch who you talk to because there's plenty of snakes out there. You need to watch who you let close because if you don't inquire of the Lord, you may, may have an enemy camp with you. And you need to watch who you listen to because your advisors can look right but their advice sends you down a path of absolute destruction. If you look at the world around, right, some, some of you guys are listening to this on, uh, on podcast, on, on, on Google Podcast or, or, or iTunes. Some of you guys are watching this on YouTube and a few other places. Listen, there are tons of podcasts on business. Tons of podcasts on business. Some of the biggest names, right, have got the biggest business podcasts. And yet, if you actually peel back the, the inspirational words, right, the the, the aspirational lifestyle that they show you. If, if you pull back all of that, you go, well, what are they actually saying to me? I've, I've been and listened to nearly all of them and I'm because tr- I'm trying to find wisdom too. But when I see somebody tell me, like, you need to be obsessed or be average and, and burn every other aspect of your life to the point where, you know, you, you build a business, I'm like, that's, that's, that's not good counsel. Right, you know, like we need to have a life where we look after our health and we look after our families and we walk and we and we you know go deeper in our walk with the Lord. Right? We need we need those things in our life. And so when somebody's saying throw all caution to the wind and just you know just burn everybody on the way through and transact and do, who cares you know and exploit every, like which is a lot of what's going on on there. I'm like yeah, it sounds good, it sounds good, but the enemy's like like gets you focused on the jets and the lambos which i don't have a problem with but if you're but that's the that's the strategy of the enemy that's why he's so subtle the lambos the jets the lifestyle the watches the bling right you you can have a lot of money but when so then that's like the hook that's like the doubt and then all of a sudden you you start paying attention to their knowledge and before you know it a whole bunch of decay in your life I'm not saying all of them are bad. I'm not saying all of them can't give you any value. I'm saying audit them because you want to make sure that you're listening to people that build you up and move you forward. It's about boundaries. It's about boundaries. It's, it, it, you know, it's having those boundaries in your life that, that basically limit the amount of trouble that you can get into with attacks from the enemy. All right, so let me bring this to a point. Your greatest defense to these attacks is your identity. The attacks are never going to stop. Hey, there's the, there's the, the, you know, there's the news bulletin. The attacks are never going to stop. He's looking, he's roaming the earth, prowling, looking for you. The attacks are never going to stop. It's a promise from the Bible. But there are other promises I'm going to get to that are better. But there is a promise from the Bible that says he's never going to stop. So your greatest defense is your identity. Just like Jesus was tempted, you and I are going to be tempted. But just like Jesus answered, so are you going to be able to hold those boundaries around yourself so that you don't get taken out. The more that your identity lines up with the things of God, 
the more you'll be able to hold the attacks up against the identity and the perspective that your identity gives you. And the more you'll be able to basically just understand that the devil may win a battle, but you've already won the war. If you are redeemed in Christ Jesus, you're part of the victory. You've got to walk that victory out every day. But I don't, I don't want to pretend for a minute that the attacks are not going to come. And by being righteous enough, the, no, 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 no. No, I, I think that actually the attacks will be more intense when you do the things that God's asked you to do. I, I, one of the most common threads that I see across the faith, of, you know, this, this thinking that's like, well, when the attack comes, when it seems difficult, God must not be in it. I'm like, really? Well, I've got a Bible that says, it was a nightmare for 6,000 years, right? It's like, it's like, I actually feel like if it's hard, if I'm getting attacked, if I'm getting pressed from all sides, I'm probably doing the thing that I'm called to do, right? But, but I see people that take a real passive approach and they're like, well, if it gets too hard, the Lord's not in it and I'm going to do something else. And the enemy goes, that's excellent. Because if I attack you and it gets too hard and you go find something else, I'll just get you to start 35 things in your life. You won't finish any of them and then you won't have an impact. I'm saying to you that you need to, it's, it's the spiritual maturity and the identity to say that, yeah, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes the enemy's attacks, they, they, they stick, they work. They put you off, they derail you. They're a speed bump. Sometimes, sometimes they may win a battle but I've already won the war. And that's what your identity will get you, right? Basically, here's how I walk around. I walk around saying, I'm a royal priesthood, mentioned in the New Testament. I'm a royal priesthood, a holy nation, is what the scripture says. I'm a royal priesthood. I am part of the priesthood of the kingdom of God. I'm royalty in the kingdom of God. I don't say that to puff myself up over humans. I say that to puff myself up over the enemy. I'm a royal priesthood. So you can throw at me what you're going to throw at me, but actually my identity is I'm a royal priesthood. If you're picking up what I'm putting down, do me a favor right now in the comments, type there, I'm a royal priesthood. All right, if you're going to get as fired up as I'm going to get, then I want you to engage with me in the comments. And right there, I'm a royal priesthood. I say this out loud all the time because I've got to build myself up. I've got to get that identity so deep inside of me that when the attacks come, they don't derail me because they're going to come. I just need the perspective to understand. I need the boundaries to, to, to limit them, but I need the perspective so that they don't re- derail me. See, um, See, for every attack that comes at me, there are more promises that you're going to be okay than, than attacks you'll ever get from the enemy. The Bible's full of promises, right? The devil comes to you and, and starts to get you to doubt, right? Starts to get you to, to, to doubt the things of God. You need to build those deep wells of identity that say, you can come at me, devil, but actually, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You know, the, the devil comes at you and, and gets a gossiping team member to try and, you know, destroy and divide. But actually, you need to be able to stand there and say, no one will be able to stand against me all the days of my life. That is a promise from God. You know, you, you might have a situation whereby the devil takes out one of your customers and, um, and you know, and, and so now you've lost some revenue and, and now, you know, some people are mocking you. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. You've got to be able to get that identity into you so that when the attack comes, you can draw it out of you so that you can bat away the attack. 
it comes down to your identity. It doesn't matter what happens when the enemy comes at you and starts to attack you. You can literally stand there and say, that's an attack from the enemy, but actually I'm a co-heir with Christ. I mean, call me crazy, I'm a co-heir with Christ, right? And it doesn't matter that on those bad days when the devil just gets you down and wears you down and you start to feel tired, yes, but his grace is sufficient. When we can get this identity inside of us, the attacks will come, but we'll have the perspective and the maturity to understand I'm a royal priesthood, I'm put above the enemy in the hierarchy of the kingdom of God, and based on that, I'm going to bat away all of the attacks. So what have we covered in this episode? We've looked at how to limit them, all right? Be careful who you let in, who you listen to, who you talk to, but also how to handle them when they come. You've got to be able to rise above the attack because if you don't, you're a victim, and if you're a victim, you're going to get derailed. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a holy nation. You've got to start saying that out loud all of the time. You know, like, I'm reminded of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, when he built the wall, Scripture tells us that he had one hand on the wall and one hand on the sword. He was ready. It was ready for attack. You and I can get ready for attack by getting that identity and meditating on it day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. Then when the attack comes, it won't derail you. That's, that's the 2022 marketplace version of being like Nehemiah. You've got your hand on the wall, which is you're doing your assignment, you're building your business, you're funding your church, you're funding projects, you're doing, you're doing the work, but you've got a hand on the sword ready to go because when attack comes, you are prepared. This week, as you go into it, I really want you to start to audit who you're talking to, Audit who you've let in. Audit who you're listening to. If you found this episode valuable, then do me a favor. I want you to share it. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast right now, there's a little arrow. You can literally you know, get the URL. You can share it out. You can put it on social and get that out there. If you're listening on the tube right now, then you can get that little, um, like the bent arrow image below the video. You can copy the URL and post it to social or SMS it out to your friends or email it. It would mean the world to me uh, if you would... Take this show and share it with other kingdom believers so that we can rally a big enough group that we can put a dent in this corrupt world. It's been a delight hanging out with you. Make sure that you put in the comments that you're a royal priesthood and start saying it all the time. Love you.